How's everybody this morning? We good? All right. Ephesians chapter 3 in your Bibles. We're going to start there in verse number 14. Ephesians chapter 3. And as we continue to go through the book of Ephesians on Sunday morning, just want to give a little uh, endorsement. Normally I read out of the New American Standard Version, and uh, it's a very good translation of the Bible, but I'm actually going to change to what's called the ESV or the English Standard Version. It's much more uh, easy to read. And in fact, if you're looking for a good Bible to study, uh, mine should be arriving on Saturday. I ordered it online as opposed to the Christian bookstore because it was cheaper. If you're seriously looking for a way to study God's Word and not spend thousands of dollars on commentaries, I strongly encourage you, you can do it online through Amazon or go to the local Christian bookstore and get what's called the ESV, the English Standard Version Study Bible. It is the best study Bible that there is. There are even, for those of you who like pictures, there are pictures that... If you ever read the Bible and it's telling you about a place that you've never heard and you can't pronounce, right? And maybe you're in a Bible study and you're like, yeah, the Bible says that Shechem is a place and such and such. This actually has pictures, not of every single place, but of strategic places in the Bible so that you can actually have a look at, okay, now I understand that David is down kind of like in a valley, and not only does he have to kind of go up this hill, but on top of this big hill, there's a big man named Goliath that further reinforces how awesome God's power was through David and so forth. So you can usually get it for anywhere from uh, 25 if you want to get the one that has the leather bonded. Those are up to like 60 bucks, but anywhere within that um, money frame, I would encourage you to pick up the ESV Study Bible. It is an excellent tool. It has so many helps and explanations. Um, the King James Version is a good translation of the Bible, but unless you read Old English and unless you like reading Shakespeare for fun, I don't encourage you to go that route because it's very difficult to understand. Okay? And none of us live in uh, 17th century Europe either. All right? This is a modern translation that does not change the meaning of God's Word, but it puts it in an accurate but an understandable way for the 21st century. So um, that's what we're, Lord willing, going to start be doing uh, next Sunday, reading out of the English Standard Version. So that's kind of give you guys a head up. Heads up so that we can kind of uh, be on the same page as far as that goes. So Ephesians chapter 3, what we're going to do, let me just let me read the passage, and then we're going to pray, and we're going to jump right into the passage and walk through it and see what God has for us. And if you would like to follow along, there is on the back of your worship guide or bulletin, there is a, a kind of a, uh, an outline of this passage. So here it goes, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. The Apostle Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be, check this out, strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, 
may be able to comprehend or literally to understand with all the saints, which is not a super saint, it just means someone who's saved. So you could read it, all the saved people, what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ. I love this. Check it out. The love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly above all that we could ask or think according to the power that works within us, to Him, speaking of God, to Him be the glory in the church and in Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You so much for Your Word. We ask that You would impart it to us. Give us the ability to hear and obey. In Jesus' name, Amen. I don't know if you guys remember back in the uh, early 90s when computers first came out uh, onto the market. Anybody remember that? Right? American online discs everywhere. You know, they're like American online discs in your mailbox. They're in your food. They're underneath your bed. They're just everywhere. Well, one of my friends told me about a guy who was working for technical support of this computer company. And a guy called in and couldn't get his computer to work. Anybody ever had that experience? Right? It causes you to want to speak in tongues with things that you should not say. You read me? You're there and you say, man, I cannot get this thing to work. So he calls up tech support and this guy on the other end of tech support is telling him, you know, you've got to do this and this. Nothing was working. Then after a long period of time, the tech support guy said, well, um, check and see if your computer is plugged in. And it wasn't. And at that point, the tech guy kind of lost it and told this customer, sir, you're too dumb to own a computer. And he lost his job. Now sometimes we come to the Word of God, like we've been walking through Ephesians chapter 2 and learning all sorts of awesome things about God's Word. And I think that that's like us sometimes, that we have all of this wealth of knowledge from God's Word, but yet we don't apply it. We don't plug it in to our lives. And today, the title of the message is, man, I don't know how to pray. And if we could have hands raised, I'm sure there are most people here, including myself, that there are times you say, Lord, I don't know how to pray. And God, I don't know what to pray for, but I know that I need to pray for myself. I know that I need to pray for my friends. Well, we're going to walk through this passage. And here's kind of the action point. Here's the idea here is that if you think that it's too much to ask of God, then you probably should. Let me me say that again. If you think that your prayer need and your prayer request is too much to ask, like this is a crazy thing to ask. This is something that is way too big for the prayer list. Y'all okay? Okay. This is something that's going to really need some heavy-duty, bone-crunching, iron-laden power. If it's that type of request that would be impossible for you or for me or for this faith family to ever complete, then you need to ask God. Why? Because, go with me to verse number 20. 
to Him who is able to do more abundantly above all that we can ask or think. The point here, friends, is that Paul in prison is praying and he says, you know what? If it's too great for me to ever do, if it's too difficult for people to figure out, I know one who I can go to and that is the God of the universe. Amen? And it's because God is powerful and it's because if this problem is unsolvable, I'm going to go to the God who is able to do anything. So if your prayer need or your prayer request is too great, if it's too big, if the problem is too messed up, if the family situation is too twisted, if the job scenario is looking too dry, then you should ask God. Because it begs the question to take a step back. Who is God? You know, sometimes I think that when we pray, we pray like God is one of us. You ever done this? God, I know I haven't talked to you in a while. Hope, do you have a second? Okay, just real quick and I'll leave you alone. Y'all with me, right? Okay, God, real quick and I'll leave you alone. I have this small little bitty request And I know that you're not really that powerful and you're not really that strong. So if it's not going to strain you too much, if you want to put on this back supporter, if you want to, you know, get in your safety belt, God, if you can do that, because I don't want you to hurt yourself, I need you to give me some help in this little area. Now, we may not say that, but the things that we pray for sometimes are so small We shouldn't wonder why God doesn't say, well, why do you need to talk to me about that? You can go to your neighbor for that. That's too easy. God is not in the business of doing things that can be explained by human effort. Right? God is in the business of doing things that are so marvelous and amazing that when people look at it, they're like, how did that happen? There is no explanation. And then we simply, like, I love the, I don't really know how this translates into the fighting world. Sometimes you see boxers do it when they beat somebody's brains out. They're like, God help me. I don't know if God helps that, but sometimes you see a a football player run into the end zone, right? And he's there and he just kind of looks up and he points his finger. I love that because what he's saying, hopefully, is that it is only because of God that I'm able to even breathe. It's only because of God that I'm able to have the physical strength to take one step, even more so run a touchdown and knock people down in the process. So what's going on here is simply the question, do we believe that God is God? Or do we believe that God is like us? You notice there in verse number 14, the text begins this way. He says, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. Go with me to verse 1 of chapter 3, same chapter. Notice that it begins the same way. Verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of the Gentiles. And there should be a line there. Verses 2 all the way through verse 13 is basically a parenthesis. It's something there that's kind of like, just in case you didn't get this before, here it is. So verse 1 and verse 14 are connected and it's a prayer. It is why we should pray. You can write that down and follow along with, with the discussion guide. It is why we should pray. So if you were asked the question, 
Why should we pray? Maybe you parents, you try to teach your kids, well, we pray before we eat. And a little kid says, well, why should we pray? And you're like, hold that thought, alright? Here are two reasons why we should pray. Number one, because of blessings, right? Because of what God has given to us. And secondly, because of burdens. Now, now watch this. God gives us everything that we have in our life so that we can use it for His glory. So that means that when God gives you a blessing, there's eventually going to become a burden for that. For example, if God gives you a close friend, God is not simply giving you that close friend for companionship, but He's giving you that relationship so that you can pour into them and help them become more like Jesus. You see? And through that, if you see things in your friend's life that don't match up with who Jesus is, it's going to become a burden and you're going to be burdened because of the sin in their life. You say, well, Jeff, what do you mean blessings? Well, he kind of, this is kind of a reflection, a little look over the shoulder back to chapter two uh, in verse 12 and 13. A blessing is that God had reconciled and brought believers near to God when they were separated. Have you ever been separated from someone? Right? Some of you guys remember the old country song, Silver Wings. Right? Right? Shining in the sunlight. You just kind of would do like that. I don't know. You you remember, like, I'm going to be separated from you. Old school country people will get that. Everybody's like, what just happened? Right? So, uh, the song is talking about, you know, separation. And you're about to get on a plane. You're going to be separated from me. The point back in chapter 2, verse number 12, it says, notice, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ. If you are saved today, there was a time in your life that you were separate from Christ because of your sin. There was a time, man, before I was 19 and God saved me for real, I was separated from Christ. But praise God, a blessing is that if you're saved here today, God has brought you together with Christ through what Jesus has done. And if you're here today and you don't know where you would go if you died, it's that horrific question mark. It's that question that you hate being asked and that you're terrified to answer, where would I go if I died? You can know today if you place your trust in Jesus, He will forgive you of all that you've ever done. He will give you a new mind and a new heart and He'll give you assurance, the assurance of God that when you die, whether if it's in a freak hunting accident or whether if it's your 104 on your deathbed, you can know that when you breathe your last, you're going to escape the wrath of God in hell and be with Jesus forever. God can give you that today. That's a blessing. Notice back over in verse 14 and 16. For He Himself is our peace who made both groups into one. Check this out. And broke down, verse 14, the barrier of the dividing wall. Meaning the wall that separates different social classes. Right? Got the rich people, middle people, the poor people, and the really poor people, and the super rich people. The Bible says that the Gospel of Christ has brought all of those people together. It doesn't matter what social strata you come from. If you get saved, you have a universal brotherhood and a sisterhood. You have a true family. That means that if you come from a messed up family, that's not really your family because your family, your true family, are the ones who have the same Father. That's God. 
Over in verse 15, it's taking away of, of the wrath of God. Notice says Jesus abolished in His flesh the enmity. Literally, when Jesus died on the cross, He was paying for the wrath of God. Can you imagine, those of you who have children, I don't have kids, but I can only imagine. I have a dog. Maybe there's some similarity there. Anyway, um, you are having to punish your child. Not in anger, but you are punishing your child with a death sentence for those who hate you. I can't understand that. That thought horrifies me. It makes me literally sick to have to carry out a death sentence on my own child, not because I'm the judge or I'm the executioner and they have committed a capital offense, but because their life is paying for those who hate me and hate them. I can't understand that kind of love. But God does and God did. Aren't you so thankful that we serve a God who has so much strength that He's able to punish His own Son for people who hate Him and yet offer forgiveness to the ones who are separate from Him? What an awesome Gospel. Let me just be very clear. Um, I haven't been with you guys long, and there may be some of you, and you are as dead as dead can be. You need to trust Christ. Please hear me. If you've been in this church for years and years and years, and there is no fire in your heart of thankfulness to God, I'm not talking like you get up, you know, and you get like your Christian boombox and you run out at 4 a.m. in the morning singing how happy I am to be a Christian. Your neighbors are like, I don't know whatever they have, but I don't want it. I'm not talking about anything weird, alright? I'm not talking about something uh, uh, strange. But simply, if there's no fire in your heart to say thank you to God for all that you've done, there's something wrong. You guys okay? And by the way, the only reason why I would tell you that is because I love you. You guys came to me and said, look Jeff, our church has been declining and declining and declining and declining. Is that okay to be honest on a Sunday morning? That's what you guys told me. You say, well, Jeff, we need God to do a work in our church. And let, me just, let, me, let me just go a step further here and say that no matter the size of a church, if God does not do a work there, there will be no lasting result. You can start off with ten, a hundred or a hundred thousand, but if it's not based upon the gospel of Christ and people truly getting saved, then it's built on a foundation of sand. But if through what Christ has done, if Christ is making a difference in your life, if He has saved you, I just cannot wait for the next coming months of serving Christ with you. So because of blessings... Then of burdens, notice verse number 1. Paul says, I'm the what? The prisoner. He is a prisoner for preaching the Gospel, plain and simple. The question for me and you is, what are we willing to suffer to get the Gospel of people? There are over 6,000 unreached people groups in the world right now. There are people dying without Christ here in Franklin County. I meet people almost every week at the gym. No church home. No relationship with Christ. Talk with a young man this past week. Doesn't believe in Christ. Not sure if God is really real. People all around this area that need a church to reach out. You know what it's going to take? It's going to take Franklin Heights Baptist Church. 
It's going to take Rocky Mount Baptist Church. It's going to take Furnace Creek. It's going to take, check it out, y'all okay? It's going to take churches that are not necessarily Baptist. It's going to take every person who's truly saved and has been truly changed to reach out and because of what God has done in your heart, not because we're trying to grow this church, but because God has given us a blessing and that blessing is translated into a burden, because God has loved me, I want this person to experience it and they haven't yet. So God, would you help me reach out to them? Some of you have children, grandchildren, and guess what? We will, we will, we will reach out to Franklin County. We will reach out to Rocky Mount. We'll take mission trips to go internationally to take the gospel to people who hopefully have never heard. We're going to take the gospel wherever God gives us the ability to do it. Why? Not because we're somebody special. Not because we're trying to run cowboy or maverick. But because that's what God said we should do. And then you have the promise in Matthew chapter 28. And he says, I will be with you even into the end of the age. You could translate that. I love this even into the uttermost parts of the earth. The question is, are you in? Notice the text goes on in verse 15. From whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. This is why we can be confident in prayer. This is why you and I can be confident when we pray because, notice there, nothing in heaven is greater than God. Amen? Notice what it says. It says, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, gets its name. There's nothing on heaven, in heaven that's greater than God. There's nothing on earth that is greater than God. It's kind of like imagine. Go with me on this train of thought. Imagine if you have been a slave, not in, in, in the old south, but you, you had been a slave to terrible masters your whole life. And they had given you not one ounce of mercy You couldn't even understand the concept of freedom because the only thing that you and I had ever known was slavery. And not slavery working in cotton fields or in a mill, but slavery of the most brutal kind. Day in and day out we were beaten. Day in and day out we were cursed at. We got very little sleep. We got very little food. The only thing that we could look up for was simply the night where we could get a few hours rest from the torture. Our life was a living hell. Go with me on this train of thought. You had never known freedom. You had never known family. You had never known anything that we as Americans hold dear. Then one day you hear your captors, they begin to to shriek and they begin to run and you see a warrior more powerful than anything you could have ever imagined come crashing through the gates and all of a sudden you realize as he pulls this veil off your eyes, you say, I have been blind, I've been in darkness, I've been enslaved, but now I'm in I'm in the presence of this marvelous light. And you look up at this warrior and he's so strong and powerful and he brings this huge sword crashing down on these chains and he breaks the chains that have been holding you and he lifts you up and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Come follow me. I am the light of the world. And at that moment, you are changed. You are no longer a captive, but you are now redeemed by the warrior who no one else is stronger than. Then he picks you up and clothes you and he prepares you and says, let's take this message to the others who are still in captivity. And that, my friends, is the Gospel. There's nothing on earth 
that's more powerful than God. There's nothing in heaven that's more powerful than God. Everything is under the subjection of God. And listen, we're not the ones who tell God what to do. It is God who we come to in humility and in love. And because God is powerful, but because He's so full of compassion, He wants you and I to come to Him. He wants us to come to Him just like a perfect father. Perfect father. Not like the ones that we've had, even if you've had a very honorable father. But the perfect father who welcomes His kids to come. Gives them what they need because the father is good. And if you know of a father, if you've had one who has shown honor to your mother, who has loved you, you can see one drop in the bucket compared to the entire Pacific Ocean of the fatherhood of God and the power of God. That's why we can be confident in prayer. Jonathan Edwards said this, a little child when it meets enemies or fierce beasts. This was written in the 1700s. Fierce beast, it's a, is not apt to trust its own strength, but it flies, or literally it, it runs. The child flies to its parents. Then he says, for refuge, so a Christian or a saint is not self-confident in engaging spiritual enemies, but flies to Christ. You hear today, you say, Jeff, I don't know how to pray. Turn to Christ. Recognize that He is the greatest. He is more powerful than any other. And it's because God is great we can go to Him in confidence. Now, notice this phrase there in verse um, 14. The Father. What it, why does the Bible refer to God as the Father? Well, this is a, a, a Jewish term that signifies that God is the one from whom everything else comes. Uh, only God was able to change names. In the Old Testament, you've got Abram, and his name was changed to what? Abraham. You've got his wife, Sarai, and her name was changed to Sarah. You've got Jacob, and his name was changed to Israel. You've got Simon, whose name was changed to Peter. And then the author of this book, Saul became Paul. Now, sometimes we can read this, and we give each other nicknames all the time, right? In the U.S.? Uh, some of you might be ashamed for the nickname that you had during high school, um, but we'll leave that for another time. We have nicknames, but in, in Jewish culture, <laughs> the only one who could give you the name was God. And it wasn't just God was giving you a name so that people could distinguish you from your brothers or sisters. It was, and D.A. Carson, great Bible scholar, he says this, in Hebrew tradition, for God to give creatures their names is not merely to provide them with a label, but determine what they are. And when God gave us the name Christian or Christ follower, He was literally saying through the Gospel that this is what you now are. Isn't that good news? If you've come to Christ and you've got things as we talked about last week, things that you are guilty about, things that you wish that had never done, you had never done, you can come to Christ and He can say to you, He can declare you to be righteous and that everything that you've done in your past has been forgiven, it's been wiped away so that you are, check it out, not what you have done, but you are what I have done. See? It's not our sin. It's the work of Christ who we define ourselves by. 
Then there in verse 16 and 17, you see what we should pray. It's the purpose of prayer. You ever wondered that? Like, okay, what do I pray, right? Somebody says, pray for me. We're like, okay, well, what do I pray? Here is a quick list of the things that truly we should pray for one another. Number one, there would be spiritual or inner strength. Notice in verse 16, that He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with power through this Spirit in the inner man. In the inner man. Now notice the Apostle Paul does not uh, pray a weak prayer. Right? Like the ones that we sometimes pray. Lord, we pray that you would just, you know, come and do this very small things. He says, go to verse 16 again, according to the riches of his glory. You guys ever heard that phrase, well, they ain't hurting in terms of finances, right? Somebody's very well off. Well, they ain't hurting. God ain't hurting. English majors, please forgive me, right? God ain't hurting. He never has. He never will. So the Apostle Paul is saying, look, God, because you have so much power, I'm going to pray that this is crazy. This is totally non-Baptist. This might be, woo, for some of y'all. He's saying, God, as much power and as much blessing as you have, I'm going to ask you to give all of it to people who need it. Enough said. But sometimes we don't want to, we don't want to get out there. You know what it really is? I, I believe this with all my heart. The lack of faith in my praying and our praying, it is because of pride, because we don't want to pray for something. Say, God, we ask that you would save this person. And then it not happen. Because then it looks like we didn't pray good, right? You guys ever heard that, heard it, you know, wow, that person, they pray, they're such a good prayer. What does that mean? What, is it? What, what does it mean to be a good prayer? What is a good prayer? There was a guy in the Bible, a Pharisee. He was using all, oh God, I thank you that I am not like this man. I'm not like others. I do, I do, I me, me, me. He's a me monster. God didn't hear his prayer. Full of pride. And Jesus said, look at that guy. Ripping people off his whole life. He came in. He was so under conviction of his sin. He, he, hit his, he hit his chest. And he simply said, God, he wouldn't, even, he wouldn't even lift his eyes to heaven. He was just, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said that that man went away justified. Please hear me. It's not the amount of King James language that you can use in your prayers. It's not the numbers of these and thous. It's not big words. It's not pulling out a theological dictionary and throwing out big words. It's the humility of your heart because the Bible says that God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Isn't that a good truth? That it's not dependent upon our intellect. It's not depending upon our ability to know how to speak. But it is according to, notice verse 16, the riches of His glory. To be strengthened in the inner man. So, what is the inner man? That's the question. It means literally, what is inside? It means that you, at the very deepest levels... Now, sometimes in churches, we often pray for physical prayer requests, physical prayer needs. And uh, you know the difference between a major surgery and a minor surgery? Anybody? Major surgery is when I go in. Minor surgery is when you go in, right? Kind of across the board. Yeah. Yes, we're supposed to pray for physical needs. But notice the Apostle Paul... He never once mentions physical needs. He doesn't even mention financial 
needs. Let me just say, we're in a very tough economic time. Can I get a witness? Right? Good jobs are hard to come by. Sometimes jobs, period, are hard to come by. But please hear me. Economics is not the most important. The Apostle Paul was praying for people that had been excluded from society. They probably could get just the very base level. Probably today it would be like, uh, I don't even know really a comparison. It would be the lowest of the low of the low of the low because they were followers of Christ. Sometimes they couldn't even get jobs because they were following Christ. He could have prayed, oh God, we pray that you would move upon Caesar to open up economic opportunity and to make good political decisions. But no, he didn't pray that. He said, God, I will pray. I'm praying that you would strengthen. Please hear it these believers, and the inner man. You know why? Because the outer man is wasting away. If all we ever do is pray for each other's physical needs, we're praying for something that can't endure. Some of y'all can give a witness. You're like, man, I get up every day, I I hurt. You guys heard about the guy, he got up in the morning and and he told his wife, this older couple, he just laid there in the bed and he said, honey, I'm dead. He said, what are you you talking about? He says, I'm dead. She said, what do you mean? That's weird. He said, nothing hurts, right? Some of y'all, I mean, it's like a day in, day out thing. You've got physical pain. You've got things that continue. Please hear me once again. Yes, we're supposed to pray for physical needs, but the primary focus of prayer in the New Testament is that we would pray that we would build the character of Christ. And if, I'm going to make a very strong statement, if we simply pray for each other's physical needs and not for each other's inner person, that our spirit would be strengthened, we're nothing more than a support group. Because Christianity is not about health and wealth. It's about you and I becoming more like Christ. Kenneth Weiss translates uh, this phrase here in verse 16, or excuse me, verse 17. Here's the purpose that we're praying for strength in our inner lives. So that, verse 17, Christ may dwell in your hearts. This is an expanded translation of what's going on. So that Christ might finally settle down and feel completely at home in your hearts. That is, if the saint lives in conscious dependent upon and yieldedness to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will make room for the Lord Jesus in the heart and the life of the saint, check this out, by eliminating from his life things that are sinful and of the world and enable the saint and thus enable the saint to make the Lord Jesus feel completely at home in his heart. If I ask you the question, what in your heart would make the Lord Jesus not feel at home? What would come up? Is it a habit? Is it passed on forgiveness? Is it a bitterness towards God because of things that have happened? Is it a prejudice towards certain types of people? What is it there that makes the Lord Jesus Christ not feel at home? And this in uh, the original language, what's going on, you've got the word for dwell, and you've got a preposition attached to it, which in, uh, in the Greek language is a power. It means to intensify something. So he's not saying that Jesus can come and live in your heart because these are people who are already saved. He's saying that because Jesus is your Savior and Lord, because He, in a sense, owns the house of your heart, you need to decorate accordingly. Anybody here ever been to a, uh, a motel that you will never go back to again as long as you shall live? There were several years ago, me and uh, my brother and a friend were going on a trip from Florida up to South Carolina to Folly Beach, and we stopped into this motel, and sometimes there are, is a difference between a motel and a hotel. I don't really know exactly what, but there is a difference. And we walked into the room, man, and it was, it was rough, 
All right, now I've been on mission trips. I've stayed in, you know, places that would not be the best. No problem with that. But when you go in and, and the cockroaches are like bench pressing the beds and the furniture, you know, and taking shots of, of raid and bug killer just because they can, you got like a flea circus going on. So you want some, I mean, it's bad news. We just kind of like left and didn't really go in. Some of y'all are like, really? The roaches? No, it's, it's just by way of explanation. Like, wow, that's awesome. I'm gonna go turn that into a monster quest, right? So, there's some places that you go, and it's just not like home. Can I get a witness? Some places that you go, and it's even really nice. You're like, I enjoyed this vacation, but it's just not like home. Apostle Paul, once again, so that Christ may dwell, literally be at home in your heart. Your follower of Christ today, the application here is what is in your life, what is in your heart that should not be there. And today would be the time to repent of it. God has pointed it out. No, 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 notice he, he continues. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love. To be rooted means to be rooted, right? The picture of a tree and its roots going very deep. And then notice a further word there in verse number 17, and grounded in love. Meaning that he has, God has planted us, and this is in the passive, and the active is if I throw the ball, right? Passive, one way is be the ball is thrown to me. In other words, God is the one, check this out, who plants us to begin with. That means about getting saved, you don't just come one day and say, you know, you know what, I'm going to put this on my calendar, right? And I'm going to, on November 21st, Sunday, year 2010, at approximately 12 noon when the invitation is given, I, Jeffrey Robinson I, shall get saved. Doesn't work like that. God is the one who saves us. You're like, well, what's my part? Your part is to believe and to trust Christ and to repent of your sin when Christ shows you that you need to be saved. And what what an amazing thing it is to serve a God who loves us so much not to let us stay the way that we are. Aren't you thankful for that? I mean, you're out eating and you've got a piece of lettuce hanging off your tooth you would be very thankful if your true friend points that out as opposed to letting you go to a job interview with that going on. We could use other things, but we're just going to move on. A true friend will tell you the truth even if it hurts. And sometimes, man, when the, when the Lord speaks to us, it hurts, but it's for the purpose of us becoming more like Him. Notice the phrase once again, grounded in what? What's it say? Last part of verse 17. Grounded in And love. Now at this point, a lot of tough guys, they see that and they think that love is weakness. Um, Love in the Bible is the total opposite of weakness. In fact, love is the greatest strength in Scripture than you could imagine. Think of what Jesus did. Jesus gave sight to the blind. That's a powerful act. To give sight to someone who can't even see. But Jesus did it out of love and compassion. You think about Lazarus when he died. Jesus loved Lazarus as a friend, but yet He raised him from the dead. That is love and that is power. You think about all of the things that Jesus did and Himself rising from the dead once uh, the sin had been forgiven. Three 
days in the ground. We're not talking about one of these things that you see on 2020. I was like hit, you know, and I was there and I like died for like a millisecond and I saw a light. And I was, not, not anything like that, all right? Not any sci-fi stuff. We're talking about three days in the can. Three days, and he comes back to life. Supernatural. Love and power combined. And you think, I love this. When Jesus goes into the temple, you guys remember this story? He goes in there, guys are like, they're like ripping people off at church. People are coming to worship God and you've got the religious leaders out there like charging them basically tax to exchange money. And Jesus is like, oh, no, you didn't. And Jesus goes through. I would have loved to have seen this. He gets all of the tables. He begins to knock them over. He begins to uh, throw people, check this out, throw it out of the temple. Like not rearranging furniture, but Jesus is actually taking names and Doing what he does, alright? He who has ears, let him hear. It was an incredible display of power. But sometimes people read that and they're like, yeah man, Jesus, Jesus got ticked off and he was angry, so that means that I can. You know, and then that's not a proof text for anger. But what it was, was an example of the love of God and his wrath against sin. Because if sin is actually bad, if it is damaging, then God would be totally unloving if He let us continue in sin. But because Jesus loved those people, He was willing to, in a what people thought was a crazy demonstration, to show that this is sin, you must repent. That's love and power. All together. Verse number 18. They may be able to comprehend with all the saints the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth. I was in 8th grade. We took a trip to what's called the Youth Evangelism Conference in Louisiana. And I don't know about you, if uh, back in middle school and high school, did anybody here a big fan of practical jokes? Any? All right, we've got some people who are liars because I know some of you in church. All right, so we're there, and, and a practical joke, if you want to know exactly what it was, ask me afterwards, was played on a, a guy in the group, and we were in hotel rooms. Terrible idea. Never bring a youth group to a hotel room. And, uh, and so I went in to see the damage that had been done, and I kind of stuck my foot through the door, and I looked around the door, and all of a sudden this guy comes running across the room, and he just pile drives the door. I was skinny. It's probably hard for you guys to believe that in eighth grade. So I go out the door and I was like, wow, he he must be kind of mad. And I tried to pull away. But what I didn't realize is that my uh, the right pinky toe of my right. Yeah, I guess I would be right. Yeah, of my right foot. I was caught in the door, like smashed in the door, like mangled, like I'm going to stop there. Some of you guys are getting a little queasy it was terrible. We started to bang on the door and say, my foot's caught. And they thought that we were going to get in to beat them up. And so they didn't open the door. So finally they got them to open the door. And it was just, uh, it was a terrible sight. And we had a lot of walking to do. And I couldn't really walk. And we didn't have crutches. So my friend Paul Lawrence in the eighth grade, the Joker was six foot tall, 200 pounds. Monster. Paul let me, uh, let me get up here, you know, like a little kid on his, on, on his shoulders. And he carried me around. Bandaged up foot in pain. 
As I look back on that, that's exactly what's going on. If it's something that you can't do, something that you can't pull yourself to accomplish, ask God who has all the power and all the ability and all the love. Once again, if it's just too big to ask, that's what you should ask.